Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to this episode of the Mia's Mentorship Podcast. Today, I have Brandy Homerding joining me. She is an expert in holistic nutrition, and she is the owner of B Collective Wellness, where she provides one-on-one nutrition coaching with an emphasis on digestive and hormone health. As a self-proclaimed diet culture dropout, she provides women with sustainable holistic nutrition support to overcome bloating, fatigue, PMS, and irregular menstrual cycles so they may feel more in tune with their bodies and live a vibrant and energetic life. A little more about her is that she resides in Seattle, Washington with her husband and two dogs. She loves all things outdoors, camping, hiking, snowboarding, and golfing, to name a few. She also enjoys traveling the world to experience different cultures, eating delicious food, and taking pictures of it, and taking road trips while listening to crime podcasts and supporting local businesses. Without further ado, please welcome Brandy. How are you doing, Brandy? Hi, I'm good. Good, Mia. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited to have you on. I am so excited to be here and chat with you and your community today. Yeah. Do you want to tell the audience who you are? Yeah, my name is Brandy. I am a certified nutrition therapy practitioner, and I am the owner of a health and wellness company called B Collective Wellness. So how'd you get into doing what um, you do today? Oh my gosh, um, such a journey. So before I became a nutritionist, I was an interventional radiology tech. I worked in a hospital for a total of, well, total of 14 years. I was in that career field, but 12 years before I decided to go back to school to become a nutrition therapy practitioner. And it was a really interesting journey because through that, whole process. Um, I myself have learned a lot about how food really affects me. And I grew up in the Midwest. So there wasn't a ton of emphasis on proper nutrition or eating in my family anyway. So moving to Colorado after that, after college, I moved to Colorado to Denver and it was a little bit more of a focus and I tried foods that I haven't ever tried before, like Brussels sprouts and avocado. And through the process, I started to really learn how my body was responding to different foods. And I became very intrigued and I wanted to learn and know so much more. And then working in healthcare as well. Um, we saw a ton of patients who really do need that Western medicine approach, but there wasn't really a ton of education around the impact that diet and lifestyle can have on their healing outcomes. So I just became so much more intrigued and decided that it was time to go back to school and shift my focus from being in healthcare to more of a preventative care type of approach to healthcare. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't think I've met anyone who's made like gone from healthcare to preventative. That's like a good transition. Yeah, yeah. It's super fun because I'm still helping people, but like in a totally different capacity and really get to know my clients in a one-on-one setting and really get to um, build this personal relationship with them too. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, 
Can you share more about, uh, you wanted to talk about like normalizing period talk, breaking the stigma around menstruation. Is that a big part of your coaching as well? Yes, absolutely. So uh, for myself, like reflecting back on my exposure and education to the menstrual cycle and what was happening, the changes that happened to our bodies as women throughout the whole cycle and then throughout every phase of our life with our menstrual cycle. It was very hush-hush. It was very taboo to talk about periods. And I even remember like trying to reflect back. I can't remember if I started my period between sixth and seventh grade or seventh and eighth grade. Thankfully, it was in the summer. But my mom worked overnights. And so like I had started bleeding one afternoon and I was just like, oh my gosh, what is happening to my body? Like in fifth grade, we had the talk, right? We had mm-hmm. the talk where they separated the boys from the girls and we sat in this room. It was for me, it was Mrs. Brown's, maybe it was fourth grade. Uh, it was Mrs. Brown's room or classroom. And we watched this video and then we all left with this little bag of like pads and tampons. And it became like, oh my gosh, we have to hide these. We can't let anybody know. Can't let the boys know that we have these things that we are walking away with. And so when I started having my period, my mom worked overnights, like she came home and I was in bed and like, I think I had bled through every piece of clothing that I had that was clean. And she's like, did you start your period? And I was like, I did. And she's like, okay, there's pads and tampons in the bathroom. Like <laughs> That was the extent of it. So it became like something that I felt for myself, I became like really ashamed of because I had these really terrible, horrific Uh, adolescent periods where I was bleeding really, really heavy for a really long time and a ton of cramping where I'd have to call my mom to come pick me up from school because I couldn't stand being in school. And it was just always brushed under the rug. And I feel like that's how women's health can still be addressed today, where our concerns are brushed under the rug and just told that like, oh, this is normal. This is just part of being a woman. This is just part of the process. This is part of getting older. And it's not the case. So I really uh, strive to empower my clients when it comes to their hormone health and their periods, because our period is our fifth vital sign. We can gather so much information about our health and wellness based on the quality and frequency of our periods. Can you go more into depth about that? Yeah. So our, our menstrual cycle consists of four phases, the follicular phase or menstruation kind of kicks us all off menstruation, the follicular phase, ovulation, and the luteal phase. So within these four phases, there are shifts that are happening to our hormones every single day that kicks off the next event that kicks off the next phase. So in the, in during menstruation, that is occurring because a fertilized egg was not implanted, meaning conception did not occur. And so estrogen and progesterone levels have fallen to then trigger the shed of the uterine lining. So that kicks off our period, our menstruation. During menstruation, our estrogen levels are slowly starting to increase, which is actually it's the increase of estrogen that stops us from bleeding. As estrogen is rising, it's because 
the follicle stimulating hormone is being secreted by the pituitary gland to recruit an egg to get it prepared for ovulation. As that egg is maturing, that egg is secreting estrogen. So estrogen continues to rise until it gets high enough that it signals to the pituitary gland to shut off our follicle stimulating hormone and now release a hormone called luteinizing hormone or LH. It's that surge of the luteinizing hormone that then kicks off ovulation. So the egg is then released. The corpus luteum is the sac that is left behind. And now we have progesterone come on board. So that sac turns into this temporary gland in which is secreting estrogen and progesterone. So progesterone is like such a great hormone that if we don't have ovulation, we are lacking in progesterone and it's going to help with like calming our nervous system. It's going to make us feel warm and cozy and want to love on all the people around us. It helps with our metabolism because it increases our um, temperature, which increases our metabolic rate. Um, it is going to help with sleep. It helps with weight management. So it's such a great hormone that we need to have ovulation occur in order to have that hormone. So after ovulation, estrogen and progesterone continue to climb until they re it recognizes the body recognizes that, hey, conception did not occur. So that corpus luteum slowly disintegrates and your estrogen and progesterone levels slowly decline, which then triggers the shed of the uterine lighting and we start the whole menstrual cycle over again. Mm. So how do the hormones involved in each phase affect us day to day? Oh, yes. This is so such an excellent question because there's so much, um, I don't know if I would say noise. There's a lot of different conflicting information when it comes to like cycle syncing uh, adjusting our workouts, adjusting our lifestyle based on hormones. And some people are debunking it and saying that that's not true, where other people are like, well, if we look at the science of it, we know that these hormones play specific roles in our body. So during menstruation, when our hormone levels are the lowest, this is when we're going to not feel as energized because we are out of hormones. They're depleted. They're gone. And we're shedding our uterine lining. And that takes energy too. So this is when you're going to want to feel a little bit more, um, maybe you stay at home-ish is what you're going to feel like. You're going to feel a little bit more of like dialing in and thinking intuitively and maybe making some adjustments for what's coming up. You might feel really kind of in tune with your body. As we shift into the follicular phase, this is with estrogen rising, you're going to feel like this is when our, our more masculine energy can come out. So we can feel really creative at this time. We can come up with some brilliant ideas. I love this phase of my cycle as working as an entrepreneur to be like, okay, yes, like I have all these great ideas that come to mind and new projects I want to start. So this is a really great time to do that. Also during that time, this is great for when we, um, since we have more estrogen coming on board, we're going to want to focus on more high intensity workouts. We're also going to probably feel more social as well. As we shift into the ovulatory phase, this is when we now have both estrogen and progesterone. So we're going to have more hormones. So we're going to feel ready to take on higher intensity workouts. We're going to feel really social at this time. Um, we're going to have a lot of clearer thinking because, hey, we have these great hormones. 
that's why I scheduled the podcast to happen during ovulation for me. Like, <laughs> thinking clear we're going to be more concise and exact with our words that we're speaking as well so this is a great time also to go on first dates to ask your boss for a raise like really dialing into that doing those more high intensity workouts doing um some strength training is really great during this phase as well until we shift into that luteal phase so about we'll say five to seven days after ovulation and you're hormones are kind of peaking, this is when they slowly start to decline. So about that week before your period starts, we can start to feel a little bit lower energy. We can maybe even feel like we're a little bit more cloudy thinking. Um, so this is when we want to maybe dial back the high intensity workouts to doing something that feels more uh, gentle, but still allows for movement. And so getting a really great sweat on. Sweating's great and important. This doesn't mean that you're not working out if you really like to work out, but it means like you can dial it in and determine, hey, maybe if you're uh, like a half marathon runner or something like that, maybe you're not going to PR this run this day and that's okay. Like giving yourself a little bit of grace. You're also going to have like this uh, need for completing tasks. Um, this is our more of our feminine energy. So I love to like wrap up projects during this phase. Words can be a little bit harder. I can definitely tell like word finding for me a day or two before my period. So bad. I'm like, I have no hormones left. I have no idea what words I'm trying to say right now. So it might be harder for you to have a, a more um, intense or intentional conversation if it's harder for you to find words. Um, so yeah, then dialing back our, our workouts can be really great as we prepare for the bleed that is going to happen. Are there any like dietary adjustments that could benefit or, um, not benefit these different mm -hmm. phases? Yeah, absolutely. I love talking about this. So a lot of times we're, our body's so intuitive that we may notice that certain foods sound more appealing during the different phases of our cycle. And there are like, uh, there's some science around different foods for each phase. Um, I don't get quite as nitty gritty with that for myself. I'm more like, okay, during the, let's start with the follicular phase and menstruation. Um, so during that phase, we really want to nurture our body, especially during nurture or during menstruation. We really want to have mineral dense foods because we are shedding that uterine lining and we are bleeding. And so we want to replenish those minerals. You can also do something called seed cycling. So with seed cycling, you're utilizing different seeds to support the hormones of the different phases. So during the follicular phase, which is technically when we start menstruation, that's kind of like the overarching phase of the first half of your menstrual cycle, you can utilize one to two tablespoons of um, sunflowers, nope, pumpkin seeds and flax seeds. During the luteal phase, you can use sunflower seeds and sesame seeds. And this adding like one to two tablespoons to your smoothies, sprinkling it on salads, adding it to oatmeal, uh, putting it on soups, like incorporating these seeds can help with the different hormones during those phases. But also during our follicular phase, our body is a lot more responsive to the effects of insulin. So insulin is a hormone that is secreted by the pancreas to um, mobilize our glucose that, from the foods that we eat. 
So for us being more sensitive to glucose, we can then tolerate maybe more carbs during this phase of our cycle as well. In the luteal phase, we are progesterone makes us less sensitive to insulin. So we can have more carb cravings arise because your cells might not be getting the carbs because you're taking more and more insulin. It's not responding. The cells aren't responding the same way. But also during the luteal phase, progesterone is thermogenic. So that means that we are increasing our basal metabolic rate during those last 14 days of our menstrual cycle. And so we do require an extra 200 to 500 calories during the luteal phase because we are burning more calories during that phase. Now, this doesn't mean like, hey, we're just going to go out and eat all of the candy and cookies and whatever that we're craving the week before our period, because now you just learn that you're less responsive to the effects of insulin. So you're going to have probably more... Um, more wonky blood sugar levels during your luteal phase. So nourishing our bodies first with some whole nutrient dense foods and then satisfying some of those cravings for chocolates or candies or whatever that we might have. Yeah. And there's um, like also what, what phase of the cycle is it when you're on your menstruation where your body is more prone to carry water weight? Yeah, so leading up to that, you can definitely be more prone for water weight too, because estrogen, especially if you're dealing with a um, more of an estrogen dominant type situation, you can definitely have a little bit more water retention. Yeah, yeah, I like to be aware of that, because it's like, a lot of people like to weigh themselves. And, mm. you know, they think like, Oh, like, why, why do I weigh an extra two or three pounds? Like I was just doing like so good, but it's like the weight doesn't measure like fat loss, you know, it's just like, it's, it's not a big deal. Like it's just, yeah, the time, the time of the month. Yeah, exactly. I, um, I'm a big fan of not stepping on the scale after ovulation until like, well, after my period, only once a month. You know, I mean, <laughs> the, the scale doesn't tell the whole story anyway, as you just said, it doesn't show fat loss. It doesn't show like the growth that you've had mentally and emotionally around your relationship with food. So it doesn't show how much stronger you've gotten in the, in the gym. It doesn't tell the whole story. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it's you don't know like, okay, how much of this is water, fat, muscle, like it doesn't tell you that much. So or at least not the basic ones at Walmart. So <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. What are some misconceptions or myths about the menstrual cycle that you often hear? Whether oh, it's gosh. from women or men or. Mm -hmm. Okay. The first one is the misconception that you can get pregnant any day of your cycle. That is <laughs> false. Yeah. You can get pregnant six days of your menstrual cycle. And that is during your ovulatory window. So when we think about ovulation, ovulation is a one day event and your egg that you ovulate is viable for up to 24 hours if it's a good, healthy egg. Sperm, on the other hand, is viable for up to five days. So that makes it a six-day window in which you potentially could conceive 
That would be five days prior to ovulation and then the 24 hours after ovulation has occurred. So there's only that time and you only ovulate once during a menstrual cycle. So that is big misconception. I know that was a big misconception for me. I didn't know that you could only get pregnant these six days. And so many women are then told um, are put on birth control of some sort to prevent something that really we just need to dial into our menstrual cycle, know when we're ovulating, and then we could actually take a lot of control of our hormones. What are some ways to know when you're ovulating? Yes, I love this. Um, so the gold standard way to actually know when you're ovulating is to track your temperature and your cervical mucus. So throughout the menstrual cycle, your cervical mucus is going to change. During menstruation, obviously, there's not really cervical mucus there because we're bleeding. And then as you shift into the follicular phase, you're going to notice that your cervical mucus becomes more like lotiony or thick. It's there, but it's not maybe there every day either, but it's going to be more thick and kind of maybe sticky or tacky. Then as you shift towards ovulation, your uh, cervical mucus is going to be really stretchy, very clear, very egg white, egg white consistency. And it will be that way for like a day or two prior to ovulation. So that's really important to key mm. in, but you don't know, right? Like you can, and have that clear fluid for a couple days in a row and then the next day not have it at all and be like, oh, okay, so I ovulated because now it's the day I don't have it. But to also confirm that ovulation actually occurred, there will be a shift in your basal body temperature. But before I get there, let's finish up this whole cycle. So then during the luteal phase, again, you're, after you ovulate, your cervical mucus will either be absent or it will be really sticky and tacky um, leading up into your period. Mm -hmm. So then to confirm that ovulation actually occurred, you can also monitor your basal body temperature. And so that would be taking your temperature every day, like in the morning when you first wake up. Now there's some devices that you can use such as an aura ring or something called temp drop. Um, there's an Ava bracelet, things like that that you can wear to bed. There's wearables that can tell you what your temperature is upon waking. Otherwise, you just take your little thermometer that's by your bedside, pop it in when you wake up, and you check what your temperature is. And then you can record that um, on a bunch of different apps out there. You will know that ovulation actually occurred if you have a shift in your temperature of 0.2 degrees or more. And that needs to be a shift over the previous six days. So if you look mm -hmm. at your your chart right so you're looking at your chart and you see like you can have a little shift but if it didn't stay elevated for three days or more then ovulation didn't occur because we can have mm. these shifts in our temperature a lot yeah but it has to be 0.2 degrees or more it has to be last for three days or more and it needs to be 0.2 degrees or more from the previous six days i have a whole blog post on it it's called like how to um how to use the fertility awareness method to track your menstrual cycle. You'll need to send so that to me and I'll link it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So those are two ways to check. But then also some women do experience a little bit of pain with ovulation. They might feel a little twinge um, down by their ovaries when they're ovulating. So that's another way to kind of check and see like, how am I feeling? Tuning in with your body. You can also use LH strips. So the luteinizing hormone, as I mentioned before, is going to peak 
right before ovulation occurs. So there's these strips that you can utilize and you um, pee on them first thing in the morning and it will tell you like if you have a, a lot of luteinizing hormone in your body. And so then you know that ovulation is going to occur within the next eight to 36 hours after that LH shift. Mm. How um, accurate are ovulation mm -hmm. sticks? Uh, you know, I don't know the exact science, but yeah, it's kind of the same thing where it's utilizing the shift in LH to confirm that ovulation is going to happen, but it's kind of hard to, um, necessarily use it after, unless you're checking progesterone, uh, depends on the LH stick, I guess, or sorry, it depends on the ovulation stick. I'm not super familiar with all of them to know like what they all can show. But you, oh, I say, hands down, the best way to know if you ovulated is tracking your temperature and tracking your cervical mucus, and then recording that somewhere, either paper charting, there's some great free paper charts out there, or like I use the app, um, Read Your Body, I think it's like 10, 15 bucks or something to download that app. And then you can visually see the shifts that you're having and track cycle over cycle. Yeah, that's convenient. Um, I will say too, though, ovulation tracking is not just for people who want to get pregnant. Um, I asked this of all my clients, like, do you know if you ovulated? Because it's so important, especially if you're somebody who's dealing with polycystic ovarian syndrome, and you have irregular cycles, or if you're perimenopausal, and now your cycles are becoming a little wonky as your hormones are shifting before menopause hits. So it's important to see um, on paper, yes, I had a clear shift. I know I ovulated because you can have a period and not ovulate. Those are anovulatory cycles, but a true period is going to follow ovulation. Mm, okay. I didn't know that, that you could not ovulate. Yeah, that's, yep. I didn't know that. So yep. for women who mm -hmm. are infertile, would you recommend, like, how did their hormones, were you familiar with that? Like, is it different than usual? Mm -hmm. Or is it like just, they just don't have ovulation, but everything else is aligned? Yeah, I mean, that's super complex. And it totally depends on each woman's situation. So infertility issues could be, is it um, a quality issue? Is it more of an issue with sustaining a pregnancy. So there's a lot of nuances in there that would be specific to each person's situation. Oh, okay. And then of course it could also be, you know, the man's issue. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Um, so for someone who wants to start prioritizing their hormonal health, they want to start tracking, um, what advice would you give? Like whether they're on birth control right now or they're off birth control, what advice mm -hmm. would you give them? Yeah, um, nourish your body. Uh, that's number one. So many women I find are undernourishing their bodies because there's so much influence of diet culture of eat less, work out more, try this intermittent fasting, try keto, try go vegetarian. Like there's so much noise out there yes. that we get so uh, disconnected from what our body actually needs. And we need to nourish our body. We can't create hormones if we don't have the right precursors of the nutrients from our foods in order to create those hormones. Also, you can't out supplement a diet. So 
the supplements are great and they have their place, but we want to have a food first focus in which you're really able to nourish your body. You're eating protein, super important. Please eat your protein, eat your fat, eat your carbs too. They all need to be on your plate. Um, so nourishing your body and then not over exercising that can cause anovulatory cycles is undernourishing and over exercising. So actually listening to what your body needs when it comes to the movement. Movement is so important, but too much of a good thing is never a good thing. Yeah, I agree. I've had yeah experience with that too. I was super um, active in high school and I always had like irregular periods and yeah, I went, I would go like months without a period um, because I was like so active and yeah, yeah it definitely plays a role. And I, I even know someone, so my swim coach, when I did swimming in high school, she stopped having a period when she was, I think, 16. And oh, wow. the doctors told her it was because of like how active she was. And like somehow it like affected her to where like even like for the rest of her life when she wasn't active, she still wouldn't get a period. So I'm not sure like the science behind it or how like accurate um, that was. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Um, because if we're undernourishing and we're over exercising, right? Because if you think about the more active you are, the more calories you are burning and the more calories you need to be consuming. We yeah. have kind of this baseline of what our body needs nutrient wise, and it will, it will non-essential um, systems or non-essential, um, what word am I looking for? factors, things that we do are going to be sacrificed. So ovulation and reproduction is not necessary to maintain life. And so if we're overstressing our body, then it will say, okay, we're not going to create those hormones and have that happen anymore, because that's not necessary for you to live. And the body is very primal. It can't determine the stress that it's feeling, because you're a really high endurance athlete and you're really focused on that versus you had a really stressful um, encounter with a, a boss or coworker and things are not going well at work or kids are really stressing you out or you're being chased by a bear. It's going to react the exact same and mobilize that whole same stress response. So if you're stuck in that chronic stress cycle, then your menstrual cycle will be one of the first things that gets um, kind of hacked <laughs> no longer yeah. sending any hormones or resource no resources are going to that because it, your body thinks it's being um, threatened yeah that's a really good point to make as well well yeah. um is there any last piece of advice or tips or encouragement that you'd like to give to the audience oh gosh um yes if something does not feel right in your body. You're very smart. You understand your body better than anybody else. And so if something doesn't feel right to you, you definitely need to seek out the professional help to have somebody help uncover what that might be. And if you're not getting the help from the providers you're currently seeing, then it's time to seek out new providers, not ones who are going to be like, oh, this is just your, this is your only solution or your only answer birth control oftentimes is given to women as their solution for their period problems. Yeah. And that's just a bandaid. That's um, to touch on this real quickly, the period that you have when you're on hormonal birth control is not a true period. 
Yes. So you're inhibiting that whole ovulation from happening. So it's not your only option. We need to understand the root cause of maybe some of your period symptoms and, and then support the body in the way that it needs. So understand your body, ask for the help when you need it and fire the practitioners that aren't helping you and find new ones. I had to do that. I like just stopped going to my gynecologist because I was like, no, you're not giving me <laughs> the help that I need. Uh -huh. She just kept trying to give me birth control, birth control, and I'd say no. And she just uh -huh. kept pushing it. And I was like, no. And then she's like, okay, well, we're going to like set up another appointment. And I was like, no. And so I just like walked out and I have not gone back to her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There are, um, there are practitioners and people who can help you navigate through the muck. And it might take a little bit of trial and error to find the right one to work with you, but we're out here. We're ready to help you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Brandy. Do you want to share with the audience where they can find you? Uh, oh, and that blog too. Is that a consistent blog that you yes. have? Yes. It's on my website. That blog is. Um, so you can find me at on Instagram at B collective wellness. And that's B E E like a bumblebee B collective wellness. And my website is B Awesome. Thank you so much, Brandy. I've loved talking to you. Yes, this was awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> Have a great day. You too. Please give Brandy a round of applause. She did so great at articulating the different cycles and how we're affected by them. And it was just so easy to understand. If you want to get connected with her, then her information is going to be below in the show notes. And she also left some blogs for us to kind of get a breakdown of what she told us today. And if you're interested in working with me, then you can head to miasmentorship.com where you can find my courses or you can apply to work with me one-on-one -on -one for personalized health and wellness coaching. You can also get more free content like this on Instagram where you can find me at mias.mentorship. Hope you all have a blessed day. Bye.